watching one more episode of the Type Theory for All podcast. This is your host, Pedro Abreu. And in this episode, we dive super deep into Isabel, the interactive theorem prover based on higher order logic. We talk with someone who did quite some hacking on Isabel's internal, Daniel Medichuk. In this episode, me and Dan also talk a little bit about Nizar, Izar, the CEL4, how was his PhD at UNSW. Towards the end of the episode, we start talking about his current work at Galois, where he's been formalizing the ARC32 architecture for ARM. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did recording it. Let's get into it! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Daniel Matichuk. Daniel got his undergrad in the University of Alberta. He was a research engineer in, in CEL4 microkernel verification project. He got his PhD at the University of New South Wales, developing a framework for using automated reasoning to assist in building Isabel proofs at scale. And nowadays he's at Galois developing some really cool formal semantics on Arch32 ARM architecture for binary analysis. Welcome, Daniel. Well, hi, Pedro. Thanks for introducing me. It's good to be here. Is there anything else that I forgot about your extensive? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, that's that's a pretty good summary. Um, I guess I guess the one thing is uh, during uh, there was sort of a, a switcheroo when I was uh, down at NICTA in Sydney, where I spent a little bit of time as a proof engineer and a little bit of time as a um, as a PhD student. And that's actually part of the what the research group down there does is they have this, uh, I think they call it uh, an enhanced PhD, where you start on as a, as a research engineer, uh, then then do uh, then do some some PhD work, and then maybe do go back to being a research engineer and you're done. So it's a pretty good. So it's, uh, it's similar to some sort of internship during your PhD. Then or? it's it's yeah, it's a little bit like an internship, um, but it's kind of explicitly with the purpose of. Uh, getting you familiar with uh, kind of the verifications uh, space in general, but with the intention of doing a PhD at NICTA, essentially, it was was the idea. So it's sort of, uh, I mean, it's it's like an, in, like an internship. I mean, so in contrast, I did an internship at Microsoft. I guess that's actually another thing we missed. Um, so while I was at Microsoft, I worked with Thruston Leno. Um, but that was mostly just he needed a, a summer intern and I was available. And so did some hacking on Daphne for a little bit uh, while I was there. But at, at NICTA, it was very explicitly like, okay, you're going to come down here. You're going to do some research engineering. And then we're going to, we're going to, you know, really uh, prepare you for the world of, of being a PhD student and get you really familiar with uh, like a, so the idea was that like when you start your PhD, you really know what you're doing. You really Wait, have a, so a, like a specific idea. Yep. So you you went from Canada all the way to the other side of the world in Sydney, Australia. Mm -hmm. Did you know what you were expected to be doing there? Did you apply <laughs> specifically to work on this? You know, like well, that's that's actually a really interesting story. Uh, so it was getting to the end of my undergrad, and actually at this point, I had very little experience with verification. At this point, uh, I like so my the University of Alberta has a little bit of like you know programming languages functional programming verification but it was really just the odd course i think i actually invented most of the courses that i took 
um, which was, yeah. So I, I took a, the, so at the time, uh, the only course that was available was using the Mizar theorem prover, which is a little bit esoteric, I think. That's pretty old, too. Right? It's, I mean, they're all old. They're all astoundingly old. <laughs> Pauline is pretty new, but yeah. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, the, the, but yeah, Mizar is like, yeah, I guess, I guess quite ancient. And um, the, so Piotr Rodnicki, who has since passed, um, he, uh, he was teaching at the university. And that was, and he was one of the main, like the primary contributors to Mizar. So that he was teaching, he was giving a course in uh, software verification using Mizar. And that was my first taste to theorem proving. Um, and let me tell you, Mizar is a beast. It is, it is quite a, a feat to get anything done in that, in that theorem prover. It's because it's, in particular, it's mostly designed for math, ver uh, formalizing math. So kind of getting a verification result out of it is kind of fun. But anyway, so I was uh, that I was there, uh, and at the time I I was sorry, blah, blah, blah. I was getting to the end of my degree, and I had no idea what I wanted to do, and just kind of on just on a whim, I went and saw a talk that June Andronik was giving uh, at the university at the time. So June, June as one of the uh, senior research senior researchers down in NICTA, uh, which I should probably clarify is now Data sixty one. So there was some rebranding recently, but the, yeah. So Ben Nickta now data 61 and she was, and they had very recently finished the result in SEL four and she was doing a tour essentially around the world, just presenting the results. And I went and attended this talk. Um, and afterwards, uh, Piotr introduced me to June uh, and I told her, this is amazing. This is what I want to do with my life. Please sign me up. And, <laughs> and, she was like, okay, sure. Uh, give us your resume. And I kind of, I think I even forgot about it after I, I contacted her. And then like a couple months later, she, uh, I got an email from them saying like, yeah, you should, you know, you should, I think I did a video interview and they were said, yeah, you should, uh, you should come down when you finish your, your degree. And I went, what? Okay. They're, they want me to come down to Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, at the time they were recruiting pretty heavily. I think they were, I, I had, I had, so, I mean, I, I had a little bit of experience with Cock, a little bit of experience with Musar, but certainly no deep verification sort of knowledge. And they were pretty much happy with just the fact that I was interested and willing to learn. Um, so, wait. So, yeah. what's the relationship yeah. between the university and and Nikta at the time? Like, are they kind of like related somehow? Yeah, because I mean, you just you just mentioned you were you applied to work at at, at Nikta, right? Not yep, yep. right. So, uh, right. I mean, they're they're pretty closely affiliated. I mean, a lot of the uh, like a lot of the researchers at Nikta are also like are also professors at the university. They teach some classes. There's pretty there's a lot of overlap, and a lot of the um, like a lot of this uh, people there are students as well. So it's a uh, it's a pretty close relationship that, that I have with the university. Um, but my, like when I went down there, my role was engineer. So I was hired on as proof engineer. There was the understanding, the implicit understanding that I would transition to be a PhD student after two years. So it was a two year work contract. Mm, gotcha. And essentially the idea was, okay, we're going, we're going to hire you, but it was based on the uh, assumption that uh, based on my academic, credentials that I would be likely eligible for a scholarship to, to be able to do a PhD. So 
and this this was kind of a standard a standard pipeline that they did for proof engineers. You go in, you worked for two years, transition to be uh, uh, a student, and that's what I did. So I I moved down to Sydney. I think I think I graduated like six months later or something, and then packed up my life and moved across the the world, <laughs> which was great. Like I look at that, I'm like, yeah, how? yeah, like what? I had no idea what I was doing. I had absolutely I no idea. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> a great, a great choice, though. Sydney is great. Sydney is an amazing city. Oh it's, yeah, it was. It is, so exactly. Yeah, it's like such, <laughs> such a different. It's 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 like so different, but also so so similar. And I had, yeah. I had no idea what to expect. Yeah. Um, but I was very pleasantly surprised. I loved it down there. It was like, and uh, the you know the Australian culture is. They're so friendly. It's so they funny. Are. Like, they it's and just, they really know how to enjoy life as well, right? They, yeah, everything yeah. is so just go with the flow. <laughs> everything is fine. Very, I don't know, especially Sydney, I guess. But everyone, yeah. everyone feels like they're surfers, you know, just like <laughs> vibing. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's funny, actually. I, I probably didn't spend as much time with the beach as I could have. But I definitely, uh, and I lived, like, I would say, a, maybe a block, like, from the beach for probably a good year when i was down there <laughs> That's, yeah and it's just it's just well because it's one of those things where it's like well it's always there i can always yeah. go it's just and another, then you kind of, yeah and now i'm like oh man i wish i could go to the beach <laughs> the oregon beaches are not quite the same no no i didn't get i didn't see any any as good beach here in the u.s yeah maybe well, maybe if i go to hawaii or something like that yeah yeah i think but, like sid you know the sydney beaches are like world renowned and yeah and i had nothing to compare i mean i lived in edmonton my whole life i think that you know <laughs> our beaches are like we have some lakes i guess like and i went wow this is amazing and yeah. you know probably probably didn't use it as much as i as i could have but uh but i loved it down there yeah coming back to your work at nikta so what exactly what are you, what are you doing there so I was a proof engineer, which uh, is a is a term that was largely coined there, uh, where you're, which I, th I think probably since then has become more of an accepted term, but it's uh, kind of in contrast to, to a software engineer or similar, where your job every day is to sit in front of a theorem prover and convince it to believe things. So at the time they were they had they had finished proving the SEL4 kernel correct, which was a functional correctness proof, and they were busy trying to verify more properties about it. And that was basically what they were hiring people on for. So when I went down there, they were working on this information flow proof. So it was this reasoning that not only is the is the kernel functionally correct, but it satisfies some security properties that were that are desirable which is so specifically they were reasoning about uh confidentiality and integrity to essentially because the idea is it's a kernel it's supposed to enforce some separation of things running on it so they wanted to prove that that it actually you know adhered to this policy um so yeah i mean and that i didn't know that's what i'd be doing i basically when i signed up i just said yeah theorem proving cool whatever uh <laughs> kernel's cool that sounds interesting so you know in my first day down there they sat me in front of Isabel and said all right well uh here's a proof that's half done go and that was it that was <laughs> you know that so the the okay i mean the, the training was like the the they do run a course so gerwin gerwin klein the the uh, leader of the group like he uh runs a course at the university which i attended in isabel 101 and I knew some theorem proving. I got used cock before then. 
Um, so I kind of knew what I was getting into, but you know, there's a lot of, it's, it's like software engineering. There's knowing how to use the tool and then there's knowing how to navigate the, the, the proof that you're working on. And let me tell you the, the, the proof for a microkernel is very different than like a math proof. You can't fit it on one page. It's whatever. I think it's a million lines now or something. Uh, so, you know, there's a, there's a whole amount, there's a large amount of context that you're trying to sort of get into your brain. Uh, and, you, you know, uh, and this is the funny thing about, uh, especially proofs of that scale, half the time you have no idea what you're proving. You, you literally could not explain in words what the, the statement <laughs> on the screen is. You, you, it's just a bunch of symbols and you're kind of just throwing symbols at it. And sometimes it comes back and tells you that it's true. Right. And then you feel good. And you're not really, you kind of just feel like it's like a, it's like, what, what's it? A uh, video game. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a video game where it's a, you know, you kind of just, you're playing it and you're winning. You're not really sure why. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I, I know that feeling very well. <laughs> I'm pretty sure any listener that have done, done some theorem proving knows that feeling. Well, I, I can assure everyone that that never stops. Uh, it gets better. You, you have a better understanding of, of the mysteries, but there's always a little bit of like, Okay, why did it do that? Okay, I don't know. Whatever. I'm just gonna keep going. It's working. It's, it seems to be working. It's green. And then, of course, you realize you've assumed false somewhere, and then you have you know, to backtrack a lot. Yeah, it's backtrack everywhere. So, is yeah, it's interesting. Um, and at the time, I mean, we had a we had a not we had some automation, which was which was very magical for me. Um, I had absolutely no idea how it worked. There was kind of this this arcane wizardry where you invoke these tools and. They would sledgehammer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so, yeah. So sledgehammer didn't work for the for our tool. So largely, we had a we had a VCG uh, that 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 we'd thrown together that was just called un kind of uninspired WP, meaning weakest precondition for weakest precondition propagation. Um, and at the time, I mean, I didn't even know what that did. I would just it was the thing that you that you invoked when you had a whore triple. And when you invoked the the WP, it went away, and now you had a verification condition. I didn't even understand how it applied the calculus. It was totally abstract away from me. Most of my time was just spent bashing away at these verification conditions. It was it was popping out. Um, but yeah, so so I mean, I, I worked on the security proofs while I was down there. Um, and that was kind of probably the, the the big result. And I and then towards the end of my engineering stint there, I kind of got into more of the guts of like automation, trying to automate these proofs and digging more into the the foundations and in, of, of Isabel itself, like the implementation details as well. Cause this is at the time that was you, you, there was no uh, boundary. You, if you wanted to write automation, you had to crack open the hood and start digging around inside. Um, and I, it was it was really fun, very interesting, and I is actually like being given a superpower because kind of at the lab there was definitely uh, there was a lot of people who knew how to use Isabel, but there wasn't a general knowledge about well how do we there were some people who had sort of the secret sauce and they knew how to write automation and write tooling, but most proof engineers that wasn't their job, and a lot of the proof engineers actually had math backgrounds. So they, you know, their programming experience is pretty limited. So now being granted the superpower that, oh, I know how to 
I was I was writing Isabel tools left and right. I was I, I wrote like a debugger. I wrote I all I think I did some parallelization into the, for proofs and I did all this stuff, and it was really fun. I really enjoyed uh, getting into the guts of how it all worked. That's um, when your thesis on ice ice bar yeah what is that so icebach is is a is a tributary of the izar river so it's a joke (laughs) it's a very german joke wait so it's a it's a it's a river on at at germany so yeah so the izar river is 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 in munich Um, okay and so it's it's, there's like three layers to this joke so (laughs) izar izar is the structured reasoning language of Isabel, right. which I can explain if, if we want to, but uh, basically it's the syntax that everyone knows. So right. it's, you, you write apply, you write lemma, that's that's all sort of considered Ezar. The joke there is that Ezar kind of sounds like, it's, it's both the river in in Munich and you know the, the Isabel was, was being largely developed at TU Munich at, at, at the time. And and Ezar in particular, Macarius, that's, that's where he was um, when he made it. But also, Ezar kind of sounds like Mizar. Okay. And yeah, Mizar yeah. is the style of proof that Ezar kind of looks like. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, yeah. So uh, the, the idea was that, um, so there's kind of these two styles t- to theorem proving. And I think people mo- largely familiar with Koch are, are familiar with the tactic style proving. In in Isabel, that has a name. It's called apply style, sort of just because the keyword you use to apply tactics is apply. Um, and the the apply style is follow your nose. You invoke a tool, it does some work on the current goal state, and it spits back out to you. Hey, here's open sub goals. Here's things I had, to, and you kind of just do this over and over until it's done. And cock this generates a term that is then type checked. Um, in Isabel, it's different, which I can explain. But the the point is that uh, this is not like you show a mathematician a proof like this, and they'll they'll like, wait. They'll say, "What what are you talking? That's not a proof. That's a just a, bunch a list of, of random words, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, what what is this? So Ezar was this attempt to try and inject some sanity to this process, where your your proof has a structure that can be observed independent of the theorem prover. And it ha- so it has all these math words, you know, uh, theorem by, uh, uh, have. Assume. Assume, exactly. So there was sort of this structure. To, so the idea was that at the leaves of this proof, uh, Ezar is, is running off and actually checking with Isabel that everything is logically sound and your overall statement is eventually proven with the, with the Isabel kernel. But the idea was that okay, well, this this document can also be observed by a human without running it through the prover, and it means something to them. Right. Yeah, so, that's very different from how Calk works, where all Calk has tactics... it has some structured proof, but I think there's nothing that's mm. really considered canonical. Yeah, um, yeah. Compared to Isar, I would say that it's it doesn't have any structured proof. Like, it doesn't doesn't compare really. Well, Isar is like a, is a whole framework, I think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Cock has various extensions, but nothing that's like this. This is the sort of unified structured reasoning uh, tool. So Mizar, in contrast, is entirely structured reasoning. So Mizar is 
all Mizar proofs. Like Mizar is essentially like Ezar, except you have one tactic, and and it gets applied everywhere. And essentially, the the only response you ever get back from the Mizar is yes or no at each leaf. If it <laughs> did work or it didn't work, and if it didn't work, it's you just have to do better. <laughs> That's right, it. right, yeah, yeah. Like break down to smaller yeah. chunks, and yeah, yeah, gotcha. yeah. So, so, anyway, so, so, Izar is is the the, the Mizar of Isabel, and Eisbach is a, in reality, is a tributary off the Izar River, but it was the the name that uh, Macarius and I came up with for this kind of sub language in Izar for writing <laughs> right. for writing tactics for writing right. methods. Um, so that that's that's it. I mean, so we we, we gave it a name. Um, I don't think it's as prevalent in. Isabel, as far as people just know it as the method keyword, it it's called Eisbach, but really it's just a way you can type method. You can what, give what's some method. method. What's that? So it's a method. So yeah, I guess I should explain that. So in, in Isabel, there's a there's a formal distinction between a tactic and a method. Um, and a method is uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's a it's a it's basically a tactic, but it's a tactic that understands more that has more context about the proof. Um, so formally, the, the, there's this distinction that it's not a tactic language, it's a method language because we're writing it in ESR, and ESR knows about proof methods. So the method keyword is essentially just the, the interface from the world to, uh, to, write, an ES, to write an Eisbach um, method, essentially. And then that, that could be invoked from, from ESR. So, as, so ESR has a standard collection of methods, which anyone who uses Isabel will know. Uh, there's not that many. Um, and and Icebox just adds adds to this collection of available methods. So it's very much like LTAC. Uh, so it allows you to build your own as well. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. Uh. So you know, it's it supports kind of the same things that LTAC does. It supports this this idea of structured matching on the goals, the goal state, which is a bit more complicated in Isabel for somewhat technical reasons. Um, the the other kind of advantage that Icebox gives you is. It has this more implicit support for managing proof databases or collected fact databases. So this was very, this was kind of foremost one of the goals was uh, to make it very easy for users to define fact databases, uh, collections of facts about things or to perform certain calculations and then write a method which would ingest these and use them in intelligent ways. So this this was kind of a knowledge management problem in in theorem proving is, you know, you have a thousand, especially in SCL four, you, know, you have a thousand lemmas about the about the kernel. Well, how do I know which one to apply and under what context? So there's there's kind of this game that you play a little bit of. There's an advantage to being explicit in your proof. Uh, with oh, I'm going to evoke this lemma, but it's brittle, and there's an advantage to to. Uh, you know, because it means that the person looking at it can go, oh, okay, I can see that this is the, the lemma that you use to prove this thing. But automation kind of lets you capture the, the essence of a proof. You can say, well, I applied this strategy and that, that seems to have worked. So uh, the Eisbach idea was, well, let's, let's give people a really easy way to uh, manage collections of facts and match out of them and apply them in structured ways. Um, this was like when I, when I was working at NICTA, the like the frustration I had endlessly was I want to write my own tactics, but I don't know I don't know how to program an ML. 
please <laughs> let me do that. So, so my, my thesis was basically like one of the major motivations was I just want to have this tool. I want to be able to do this so bad. Those are the best tools. <laughs> of course, the irony was that by the, by the end of my thesis, I didn't need it anymore. I didn't need it as much because I now, I now knew how to program an ML, In ML. Very, very, very fluently. I mean, that, you know, that being said, it's certainly, there's no way I would like some of the, some of the tools I developed using Icebox, there was a resistance to having too many implemented in NML because uh, other proof engineers coming onto the project later wouldn't be able to maintain them if, if they were like, so writing them in Icebox means you, you know, you pretty much just need to understand how Isabel, like how ESAR proofs work. And then you can look at an Icebox tactic and go, okay, I can kind of see what this is doing. Um, add up to it, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and and yeah, exactly. Add to it, or change it, or maintain it, and that was another motivation for it. Um, so early on, you mentioned that in Coq we are building proof terms, and that's different in Isabel. How, mm-hmm. how is that? How how does Isabel actually check that our yeah. proofs are correct? Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, distinction. Um, so in Isabel is based on this idea of uh of the, the lcf style prover so lcf is, stands for logical computable fun- functions and it basically means um rather than saying so, t- so okay i guess let's back up so type theory essentially says if i have a logical statement i can encode it as a type and the proof of that statement is essentially demonstrating that that type is inhabited by providing some term which has that type um, and you're checking, so there's and there's sort of two obvious steps to this process. There's constructing the term, and then there's verifying that the term actually has the type that you claim it does. So this is one approach. And the advantage of this approach is there's no ambiguity about what the, the formal proof artifact is. At the end of the day, you could have all this fancy machinery sitting on top of your theorem prover, but if you wanted to, you could print out the term and say, this is the proof. This is unambiguously the thing that proves the statement. So Isabel is uh, an alternate approach where you essentially say, well, really all we care about is that the, we is knowing that the series of steps that we took to deduce this some fact was logically sound. And we don't actually need to necessarily remember what those steps were when we're finished. We just have to constrain ourselves to follow the rules. Um, so all the, the LCF style is just, well, let's just define those rules explicitly um, and then wrap them up in a module that the 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 type system or the runtime or or whatever language you're, you're implementing it in maintains some abstraction boundary such that you have a type which represents the type of true facts. And the only way to construct objects of this type is to go uh, via this abstract interface. So the idea is, well, for example, I want to prove uh, the the fact A and B. Well, the only way to do that is to have an existing uh, object, which is the type, which is proving a proof of A and a proof of B. And I run out through a function that constructs the proof of A and B, but it throws away the fact that this was the function that I used. I don't, it doesn't matter anymore. It's just now I have, now I have uh, some, some term which happens to have, uh, happens to contain the proposition A and B, and it has a type that says that it's a true fact. Um, so you, you, and then you build up these and then you, you have a, 
you 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 have a very minimal set of sort of primitive operations, and then anything you want to build on top of this, any any higher level reasoning, is all based on just stringing these together by by composing them. So when a, when an Isabel proof is finished running, the only the only thing you have is simply in the the runtime of the system, you have a, a term which has the you have you have a value which has the type true fact. And the proposition is the thing you wanted to prove, and that's it. You don't. You, there's no other representation of this of this fact. It just so the, fa it seems, the fact that you were able to make it is sufficient. Yeah. It seems to me that in Coq it's kind of easier to comp to produce the .vo file, the compiled files, that is just pretty much storing the terms. Maybe you know, like saying, okay, these are the terms that type checks all these mm -hmm. statements. But since in Isabel you threw the terms away. How how do you import a, a module that you that you know that is correct now? Do you have to to recompile it every time? Do you know how they store this state that this this yeah, module you, is correct now? If if you really wanted to, so yeah. So there's there's a sort of compositionality problem here, which which is exactly what you're describing. So if you if you have a, a proof, um, the only there's so essentially you have two options for if somebody hands you a module in Isabel, which is which in Isabel is just a theory file containing it, it's like the 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 tactic script in cock that's that's all you yeah. have it's the only artifact you can you can produce really and the only options you have to use this are to either recheck it yourself if you want to import it when in that importing process by default isabel will just go ahead and just recheck that that whole proof there's no there's no uh way to kind of take the the pre-produced artifact and then digest that the only thing you can do the only uh, kind of shortcut is you can do what's called skip proofs, where where the internal mechanism is happy to just skip certain operations, which it which it doesn't formally need to do to construct the the object. So the object is actually the 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 the, the terms are tagged with the fact that they were skipped, but you can have a a term which is well I'm I'm a true fact and the the type system says I'm a true fact, but if you kind of peek under the hood slightly, it says well actually you cheated. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. To, to to get the final result, if you really want to like finish the proof, you kind of have to go back and make sure that you 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 don't do this and you have to do the the clean pass. Right. It um, actually explains why I felt that the Isabel IDE. What's the name of that? Is it, is it Isabel Isabel IDE? Uh, there's JEdit. Which JEdit. I always felt that JEdit was so slow. Like every single time, it was doing <laughs> it's so a lot much better now. work. <laughs> it's 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 a lot better now. So I think you. I, I don't don't remember whether or not you were in the. You were probably dealing with it during the transition period. So for a long time, the only IDE for Isabel was this was it was Proof General, oh, which yeah. was this Emacs yeah, extension. Which it, yeah, yeah. Uh, so JEdit was part of this attempt to modernize the Isabel. Yeah. Experience. But you know, one thing I, I really I really enjoyed about about that, about JEdit, is the parallelism. So as I was actually type checking this one file, it was running thousands of other proofs in the background. And yeah. that was that was nice. So this is this is a this is a huge advantage of uh kind of how how Isabel works, the LCF style makes it uh very feasible to put this parallelism really at the bottom of the whole theorem proving process. So, so the parallelism in Isabel is actually baked into the kernel itself. There was a conservative extension that essentially says a valid proof is actually a proof which is represents a forked thread that will eventually produce a proof. 
and you can produce other proofs essentially on the promise that you'll eventually prove this thing. And then there's this last step to the whole proving process, which is essentially, well, just make sure all the threads that are open finish before we're done. Right. So we don't, and be, because you kind of have this baked in idea that, well, I can have uh, a proof, I can have a term where I don't actually care, you know, there's a proof running in the background because I can never inspect it. It doesn't matter whether or not that proof that, that, that is finished. And this is kind of in contrast to cock where, I mean, you could do this, but you have to make sure that you're, you're not accidentally in inspecting those terms. You, you certainly can't fork in, in cases where you really would depend on what, what that um, term ended up looking like. Yeah, especially because you can you would actually be able to extract that code and actually run that proof in Coq as well. Yeah. Which is yeah. another So this big... is not yeah. This is not natively supported in Isabel. There there are some sort of like you, you can extract code from an Isabel proof. Really? But How? it's not well the uh, the there are tools which are based on the idea that well there is a sort of obvious mapping from like certain like an Isabel term to an ml program for example okay you know if you have if you okay. have a function you know it's just just a series of rewrites you can just implement that as an ml function but but the the mapping is largely just informal it's just we happen to be able to derive a program from the set of functions and i would be surprised yeah. if that's complete though because of the classical logic oh it's certainly not complete it's you you, you very you very quickly run into instances where where this won't work um, it's just one, I don't, I don't think it's being seriously used anywhere. Um, and yeah, the, the, the formal guarantees are pretty weak, unfortunately. So it's not, it's not the same as cock where there's this sort of very, there's this very rock solid idea that, well, if you strip away the propositions, the result is executable and it has the properties you want. Uh, can't do this in Isabel. Oh man, you're making Isabel sign pretty lame. <laughs> that's, that's not quite what are the, the good things about Isabel now? But well, how many people actually use code extraction <laughs> in seriousness to write to to run like performed code? Let's put let me tell you, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna write a microkernel in Coq and do code extraction and then run this on my bare metal system. That's fair. So, yeah, you know, and in Isabel we have a the SEL four proof is a million lines of proof, and it you know isabel handles it like a dream it's well okay i mean it's it's been a process to get here but i mean in in modern like modern j edit you can open all the theory files and you know you got to have 16 gigs of memory but it'll it'll work how and, does yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how does a mapping from the c program that implements the cl4 to the isabel files work how does that mapping go Yes, that's that's based on uh, a bunch of tooling, which essentially is extracting a C semantics from the C code, and that's a trusted step. Where you know we have we have a there's a semantics for C. I think it's like it's a general semantics called simple, where it's a very simplistic imperative language that is is built into Isabel and the sort of trusted step is well let's let's parse that C, create a representation of that C code in simple. Now it's inside of Isabel and now let's and the rest of the tooling all sits on top of that formal representation. And it really has it's a very it attempts to be a very conservative translation of the C code. Um, and 
and you can do and the, there's other there's work now which sort of extends downwards which is uh essentially let's extract a represent and then I'm, I'm less familiar with this this is kind of uh this was done largely i think after after i left but you can you can take the binary itself and actually extract a semantic representation of the binary uh based on uh, a semantics for the particular architecture that's been co compiled for and then actually prove that the re this representation is equivalent to the c representation that you Damn, extracted. that's pretty cool yeah it's, it's quite an it's yeah it's, it's a hard problem yeah, yeah yeah um but it's it's all based on this idea of refinement so the the point is that uh you the the seal 4 proof is the stack of refinement proofs where you have increasingly abstract specifications and you just prove that that each one uh, each one is a refinement of the next one. So at the top, you have this sort of abstract functional specification, which is then proved to be refined by the the Haskell implementation, which which is then proved to be refined by the the C implementation, which then, as part of the the, the binary verification work, is then proved to be refined by the actual the actual compiled binary. That's that's um, pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty nice. Yeah, it's it's quite the result. Um, but the yeah the interesting thing about this is you know it's a lot of proof. It's, it's <laughs> you just had one million there. lines of proofs, right? Yeah, That's yeah. A and lot. every every patch is like this is this is the reason they needed so many proof engineers because it was just every time you wanted to make a make a change, it was you know it was a significant effort. It was something like you know I can't I, I can't remember exactly what the mapping was, but it was like you know a trivial patch to an engineer who convinced he took him you know, uh, maybe a week to convince himself that this patch was correct. It would take months, <laughs> months for a proof engineer to actually right. churn through. And it's just details. It's just, well, now we have to, I have to plumb this through, uh, f you know, four levels of refinements and, and yeah, so it's, it's a challenge. It's, um, but you know, that, that is always the cost of verification at that level of verification. This is like, you know, we know it works kind of, like verified down to the bones. So so yeah, I was when I was there I had this feeling that the biggest concern of, you know, Nikta Data 61 now is kind of towards proof engineering because, you know, like they already know that they can prove stuff that they can make things work and CL4 show that they can manage huge huge amount of code with uh, a lot of people. And now the question that is open now is like, but how do we maintain this? How do we make this more more feasible, right? Like, how do we actually think on maintenance of our of our code of of, of our systems to allow more people to come in or, and to have a better development process, right? What are the strategies they adopt there? I mean, that's that's an interesting question, and it's it's I would say an open question at this point. Uh, it's it's kind of a, I think in the same, it has all the same problems as software design in just that, well, there, there are always two considerations with a large body of proof, the same as a large body of code, that any, there's technical debt. It's essentially, well, at any stage, we could put a bunch of effort into rewriting some module or redesigning some proof or something, and it would be more maintainable, more modular. But at the end of the day, every, you know, we have some, 
some deadline, some result we're trying to prove, and we're sort of we're always marching towards that. So the the strategies are essentially well, how do we every time we have to go back and look at this proof again, we have to prove another property. How do we try and inject some more sanity into the previous work? Now, now that we know more things, we're already going through the process of looking through it again. Can we try and make it better this time? Can we try and... Um, so I mean, my, one of my goals was, uh, well, if we, if we grant... So automation is essentially my, my, uh, my thesis, essentially, and both, both my PhD thesis, but also just my thesis for proving in general, is that... Um, the proof engineer should be interested in automating himself out of a job. He should be trying to encode <laughs> as much of his reasoning as possible into automated tools that allow him to just say, well, just do what I did last time. And this is like what, this is what mathematicians really uh, take for granted, right? Because this is what you, this, you kind of implicitly do this when you're writing a math proof. Right. Because you right. can kind of say, Oh, and this proof is similar to the previous one, right? <laughs> Can't do this in fall in an interactive theorem prover. You have to do it again, and this is like the the best analogy is copy paste, right? <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So the question is, well, how do we how do we get people to the point of just being able to say, well, do the same thing before as I did before? And you know, the the, the like the real problem is at some point you. You know, you you now have a proof which is so abstract that it's just a series of automated proofs, and when it breaks, nobody can tell what happened. It just right. says, "Well, right. the tool broke." So, in tandem with this, we have to build to better tooling for introspecting the automated process to say, "Well, it broke, but it broke here and for this reason," and. And giving that an so it's like it's like second order interactivity. It's like well, we want to interact with <laughs> proof, but we want interactive automated sort of tactics where it right. dumps you. It, you know, you run it and it dumps you out, and it says, "Well, I tried to apply this strategy, but it failed here, and here's why, and I need a little bit more help here." But not in a way that encourages you to kind of just follow your nose and keep adding tactics. In a way that encourages you to go back and and uh, instrument the automation in a different way. So that it now works, but doing this in such a way that it's structured, because this is kind of like already what happens during proof engineering. There's kind of this hilarious kind of unpacking process where somebody has gone through a lot of effort to take, you know, a hundred lines of proof and mash it into one super method that just does everything. And then it breaks. And now you have to, now you as the, the, the poor soul who has to fix this proof. Now as you sort of unpack this and go, okay, I'm going to copy this and like remove bits of it and see, well, what what was it doing before? And and a lot of the time, the only way to figure this out is to go find the person and ask them what was going on in their, their head <laughs> when they wrote this thing. So, you know, how well, you want to make this more formal and make this process more structured, more formal, more like the tool, the assistant should assist you with this. Um, yeah. So that's, I, I, you know, I, I kind of, I, I built a bunch of stuff, not just Icebox, but I built a bunch of, a bunch of tooling around supporting this. But I think there is also, uh, there's a matter of making it a principled approach for engineers to apply this strategy. Because there's this general problem in theorem proving. I mean, I certainly experienced it when I started, 
which is essentially you can throw anyone, any smart enough person at, uh, at a proof and eventually they'll solve it with enough, you know, caffeine and time. Exactly. The resulting proof may be a disaster. It may wander around and be way longer than needs to be. But at the end of the day, if you're just trying to get the top level result, you as the, you know, the grand proof master, you don't care. Or I mean, you should care. But if, if you're just looking at the next deadline, what you really care about is, well, okay, it works. Great. Ship it. Let's go. Go, go, go. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a, like a very different process to software engineering where you, you have no idea if your software is correct. I mean, unless you're verified, obviously. But I mean, in general, with software engineering, if you write a bunch of, you know, you write some, some C module that nobody can understand, but the types are all correct, no one cares. Like, I can't understand this. Go away, right? You know, do it better. With, with proofs, there's definitely this ability to write a proof which is bad. And there are, I mean, there are bad proofs, which check, but they're bad. You know, that, that formally, you can, still, you can still import them. You can still use those results. It doesn't matter that they're bad because you just care about the top level result. And it's a problem. It's that, that requires discipline to solve. Yeah, I feel like even though even though theorem interactive theorem proof has been around since the seventies, I feel like it's still too young because it's it's very niche and there's definitely not that many people working on it, right? Like yeah. for software I, engineering, yeah. there's been a lot of very many, many very smart guys and there's a lot of many companies that, you know, are interested in, in having good software and maintainable software because that makes them a huge amount of money. But that's not quite the case for proof engineering, right? So it feels like everything is just so young and childish in a sense, right? Everything is just there's just so well, many open questions yet. How do we do this properly? Yeah, and it's and it's largely done in an, in an academic context, right? So, yeah. So you you don't have people, and and you never you're never going to have this problem where if the if the proof breaks, you 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 know people's phones stop working in the middle of the night. Like it's not like <laughs> Google where the system goes down and somebody gets a page. Like the 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 worst we actually so the worst thing that happens like at Nikta there was this uh it's called a well, there was a beer offense was, was the, was the joke. So okay. a beer offense is there's a list of offenses you can commit in your tur in your proof that if you do them, you, you owe everyone in the, in the lab a beer, <laughs> which, which is so Australian. It's, it's hilarious. That's so um, good. And, and they were in, in there. I can't remember what they were. I, just, I probably would commit them. And there's thing you know, things like, you know, ending a proof with some, kind of thing using this using this method in the middle of a proof kind of thing <laughs> um but it's it's like so so we kind of had this idea that like there are things you shouldn't do but you, you know it was very much just kind of okay these are the things you don't do and that was it that was the extent of the, the <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah 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 and, and we're and we, we kind of got better and it definitely as we went through like because it was kind of it you need the experience and that's the thing about software engineering. We've built so much software that there is this corpus of knowledge and experience that we collectively have developed over time. Um, and in, in, we, we had to, in proof engineering, you know, there is the process of building the proof once, which I didn't do. Like I didn't do the original SEL4 proof. I was mostly just subject to it. But 
you know, I then had was gained gained a lot of familiarity with. Okay, well, we have to go through it again. We have to we have to now go through, back through the proof. And where are the pain points? Why is this hard to look at? Why is it hard to look at someone else's proof for the hundredth time? Um, and and what what about a patch is making it hard? And you know, we could not answer any of these questions until we'd done it a dozen times. And you know, and and it's, we're just one lab looking at one proof. You know, I gained a lot of familiarity with that proof but you know it's a hard question how do we generalize these results to other proofs to other to other projects in other theorem proofs no less um and it's just yeah and you're right it's young it, you know it takes time we have to and we need to, we need the motivation right we need we need the a, a proof that somebody's that that somebody's interested in maintaining like the seo4 proof you need more of these you need more proofs that people want to keep moving forward and iterating on um, to, to develop these ideas further. Do you think, do you think there is interest in the, you know, industry to start yeah. using more interactive theorem improvers? Now yeah, that you're at Galois, yeah. how do you look at this? Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And this is, so, I mean, we have, Galois is in an interesting position because we're, we're both uh, kind of trying to market the, the, the act of verifying. So we'll, you know, we'll, someone will, will contract us and say, well, we have this, we have this system. We want you to verify it and we'll work with them to figure out, okay, well, what is the specification? What is the actual level of verification you want? Things like this. But also we are internally developing a set of tools for doing the verification work. So this gives us a lot, a lot of flexibility because the motivation for how these tools work is derived directly from you know, real world experience verifying stuff with it. And we, we give ourselves a lot of flexibility by kind of grounding ourselves in practicality um, rather than, than formality. So, and, and, you know, this is, you know, perhaps it, there's this idea that in theorem proving in Cock and Isabel, it's kind of an all or nothing approach, right? You, you, you have, the the system which has the logic that is used to produce proofs and there's no notion of half verified or kind of verified either is or it isn't um you know obviously the like you still have this idea that there are things you've axiomatized or assumed but that's all very upfront it's kind of okay well we sat we sat down and we plumbed the whole thing through the theorem prover but we had to assume these things explicitly when, when we did this. Um, you know, there is this idea that, well, let's, let's design a system where it's supposed to be for verification, right? And this is kind of, I think, an, another idea in, in the proof space where your, your verification level is much lower, like your, your assurance about the resulting artifact is much lower. You don't have, uh, you know, a battle-tested theorem prover telling you, okay, you definitely got this right. You have a collection of tools which kind of give you some assurance that what you developed is correct, not to the same extent, but they're maybe easier to work with, easier to iterate on. That being said, you still have the same problems. So you you still fundamentally have the same sort of problems that you know you you design a you you design a proof in a proof system that you've developed. You, you now know where how you could have made the system better. You still have the proof. You still have to go fix it. <laughs> so yeah, it's. I, I think 
I think there's definitely industry interest in this. And I think the, the industry is mostly willing to let us kind of tell them, you know, or work with them to say, okay, what, what is the level of guarantee that you want? And we're willing to kind of try and meet that level of guarantee based on what your budget is and what your interests are, um, rather than the research approach, which is kind of the, the research approach is really, we want to verify this thing and let's go do it as opposed to like, and, th and that's sort of, it's almost a philosophical question. It's like, it's verified and it kind of just let, lets you feel good about yourself. Um, whereas in an, in an industry, uh, you know, when, when, when the verification is being driven from the perspective of, okay, this thing broke and that's bad. Can you verify this, please? We want it. We want this set of guarantees about this software. So that next time we run it, it doesn't break in the same way. And it's very goal oriented. It's very uh, driven from that perspective. And that gives you this sort of practical, like it's coming from the perspective of practicality. Um, but it's still the same fundamental problems uh, that you have in, in developing a, whatever, a research proof. Um, but at the very least, you can essentially, you, you, you have the option of essentially saying, well, the proof mostly works, except we didn't manage to prove this thing. And then the client can go, that's fine. I don't care. And then you just. Yeah. And like you, in <laughs> the highest level, most of the things that they do care about was verified. And there's already a lot of guarantees that the yeah. code is now, you know, bulletproof in some sense. Yeah. With respect to what they care about. And, and that, and that, I think the, the, the difference there is that caveat is fine. And the thing about proofs is the thing that was. The, the, the thing that's funny about proofs is that the things which are hard are not always the things which are interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you can spend a lot of time mucking around with some formal detail that is just hard for very uninteresting reasons. You can't convince the theorem prover that some type is inhabited or something. I think the simple, simplest example of that is, is binding of variables. Yeah. And can lambda calculus. It's just like when you're doing in pen and paper, it's just dumb and trivial. But when you actually sit down to do the, the implementation, is you're gonna spend so much time doing that. Yeah. Right? Yep. But anyways, exactly. I saw on the website that you're working on some ARM architecture binary analysis. Mm. You wanna talk a little bit about that? What are you guys up to over there? I'd love to talk about that. So this nice. is so binary analysis is something that I had no experience with coming into Galwa and I kind of just fell on it somewhat accidentally and I love it. It's so cool. It's like the nuts and bolts of, of software verification. And it's this idea that from, from the perspective of, you know, Cock or Isabel, the code you're verifying is kind of reified in some way you have. Like, so in the example that we use that of uh, SEL4, well, how do you, how do you get the, the code into the theorem prover? Well, you have to parse it, parse the C code in some way, and then the semantics are sitting in some kind of imperative language. So binary analysis is kind of the idea that, well, rather than taking the source code, let's take the actual binary. Let's let's reason at the level of, well, this this software that we're running is going to be running on some particular, you know, it's, it's going to be running on some particular CPU. We have the binary. We know we have the specification for the CPU. Let's reason about what it actually does or what it actually will do when running on the, you know, in, in the real world. Um, so this requires knowing 
what the CPU does with a given binary. Um, so the standard way to model this is essentially have a mapping from every instruction that the, the CPU has to some kind of transition that it would make in some model of the machine state. So what, what does it do to the user registers? What does it do to memory? What does it do to the system flags? All this stuff. Um, and this is a whole area of research because binary verification is it's popular because it is in some sense the it's very general in the sense that it doesn't matter how you know what the source language was you can take any or or how it was what tooling was sitting on top of this or even if you have the source code at all you can just take a compiled binary throw it at some binary verification tool and it will answer interesting questions about it so there's this general question of well how do we encode these semantics in our various systems for various processors to to be able to take take a binary and actually know what it does um and this is you know this is somewhat subject to what system we are using so we could use isabel if we wanted to and this is certainly done people have semantics for various processors uh formalized in isabel or i'm sure there's there's similar in cock and things like this but you know, the, where do these come from? How do we decide what, what are the semantics? Well, we can stare at the, the specification sheet for the processor for a while and kind of pretend, ah, well, the add instruction happens to do this. Um, and, you know, this, this works for simple instructions and things like this, but it's kind of, you can get it wrong for system instructions. It's very easy. There's a lot of details to, to get right. So the arm, the arm work that I'm doing is based on this work that uh, Alistair Reed, who, who was at ARM at the time, essentially sat down and said, well, let's specify within ARM formally the semantics for the processor using a language that he developed called, somewhat uninterestingly, the ARM specification language. Yeah. So it's, it's a functional, well, it's an imperative language with some functional features that, that, formal, that is a formal specification for the ARM processor um, that is used internally. I think like they, they derive like documentation from it and things like this. Um, it's just a specification language. It looks like a programming language, but there isn't, there isn't a compiler. I think he wrote an interpreter at some point, um, for like, so you could, you could use it to like write a simulator for ARM like, processors. What does, it, what does it mean to be in a specification language? Is it, I, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, so specification language is like i mean it's 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 basically a programming language a special purpose programming language so the arm specification language has functions variables uh global state uh types it's got everything you'd expect in a programming language but all it does it doesn't do anything it's not compiled you don't run it it's so, just so it allows you to <laughs> So why so why do you why do you care about this at all? Yeah, and, yeah. So well, it's it, the idea is you you at the top level of this thing. So you have all these you know programming language like things, and at the top level, you have something that allows you to say, well, for this instruction, which is encoded in this way, this is what it does. Where this where where what it does is with respect to well, one of this one of there's a couple magic pieces of state which represent the machine, the actual machine state. 
So you have a global variable in this language that is the registers, the user registers. You have a global variable that represents the memory. Um, and then you have some other global variables representing various CPU flags and things. And these all magic, all these magic variables, they all get transformed in some way as the result of, uh, you know, an instruction executing. So the add instruction would say something like, well, you know, take the operands, decode them in this way, use that to dereference the register index, add them together, write that value back to the globals, you know, maybe set some flags, whatever. Um, and the idea is that this is sort of, this is at the complete level of precision. Um, this, it is a sufficient level of precision that a person could read this spec and implement an ARM processor. Right, basically. so I would expect that it, it also allows you to abstract a lot of implementation details, right? Because since it's not gonna actually run, you can just say, okay, this, yeah, like, yeah you, you're, not instruction. Mm -hmm. you're not saying how it actually executes on the chip. So you're not saying, you know, dispatch this thing to this, uh, this logical unit and wait this many clock cycles. You, you're just saying that functionally, and there's no, yeah, so there's no timing behavior specified. You're just saying functionally when this execution, when this instruction finishes executing, this is how the machine has been updated. And, and yeah, there are abstractions. There are like, there are functions which are unimplemented in this, nothing is implemented. There are functions which are unspecified and they just say, this, this is an implementation detail, depending on gotcha. what kind of process you want to design. So what, what are you doing with that language again? Yeah, so we're trying to, so th this is just a, you know, this is a document essentially, and people have developed various things, various tooling on, uh, on top of it. And the thing that we developed was, well, let's, incorporate this into our existing binary analysis tool suite to serve as the semantics for the uh for arm for ar32 and maybe eventually ar64 um for our to, to essentially as a as a extensible as an extension to our binary analysis tool suite to support this architecture so we already had some semantics for arm but they were incomplete and basically every instruction we wanted to support required going in sitting down and writing in a little DSL what, what we want the semantics to be. So for, you know, at some point we went, well, okay, well, we have this formal specification. Can we just consume that in some way and use this as the the, the foundation for our, our tool suite? And a lot of this was putting square pegs in round holes. Uh, so it was the, the, the core approach was symbolic execution. So it was this, well, let's, let's symbolically, let's take this, this language, assign it a semantics that we understand, symbolically execute it and say, well, this is this is now the, the semantics of this processor with respect to our tool suite. Um, it's really hard to explain exactly what that means and exactly what that does. But the idea is once we feed in this, the ASL, we, we churn it through a bunch of tooling, generate a representation in our own tool suite, now it's in this kind of agnostic state uh, that uh, allows us to then um, take any ARM binary and assign it to semantics. It fits into the rest of the binary analysis tools without kind of the fact that it was based on ASL is no longer relevant. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, um, is this, this, yeah. this tool 
you're talking about this tool bench you're using. Is it saw? Is it or it's, somewhat related? It's, it's related. So it's it's part of the 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 software analysis tool bench, but um, I think it would it would fit under that umbrella. Yeah. So right. it, it's, it's like, so Macaw, I think is, is the, Oh, the gotcha. Yeah. Saw, if I remember correctly, it, it, it works mostly on LLVM code. So yeah. 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 So this is, yeah, it's a little bit different. It's, it's this, this is, this is binary analysis. So this is, we, you don't even have the LLVM. This is, you have, you know, you, you have some, some raw, some raw you got to... binary. You got to write specs in, say, Haskell as well, crypto or something like that. Um, I mean, we have we have a bunch of DSLs for like we have a DSL oh, okay. for for writing specifications. Um, saying it's in Haskell is maybe not quite right, but <laughs> yeah. it's sub Haskell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's there's a lot of Haskell involved. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, so the, the arm, I mean, the, the arm work was really based on, well, let's just add this support. It was for other projects who wanted arm support. I didn't care about what those projects wanted it for. That was not my, that was not my purview. I basically just needed to get the semantics in place so that, so that the rest of the functionality was in place. Um, and that, that project, I mean, that wrapped up uh, about a year ago, I would say uh in the sense that it works now like the, the there are limitations to it it uh you know it supports a fragment of all of all the instructions but you know we kind of can it again it's sort of demand driven it mostly works the system level instructions are always interesting um so we don't support those but the so the thing I'm working on now actually is is using those semantics for equivalence analysis, which I can talk about, which is probably not something. Yep. No, let's go. Okay, so we know what we know what binary analysis is, kind of. You can take a binary, decide what it does, decide what its semantics are. This, what does this get you? Well, we can potentially take a binary and say, well, this binary adheres to this functional specification. That's kind of the SCL4 approach, right? So it's like, well, let's take this, let's take this binary, let's let's abstract it all the way up to its functional specification that tells us something. Equivalence analysis is, well, let's take two binaries and say, are they the same? Do they do the same thing? And if they don't do the same thing, how are they different? This is a generally hard problem, obviously. So again, lots of engineering, lots of sort of interacting with our binary analysis tool suite to get this uh, sort of all the plumbing in place. But the core question is quite interesting. It's like, well, what does it mean for programs to be kind of conditionally equivalent? This, this sort of general, the general property we're interested in is, well, if, if we have two, two binaries and we know that they are largely similar, but one has been patched in some way. Um, how did that patch affect its behavior? Was the patch nefarious? Was the patch benign? And so binary analysis allows you to answer this question without having any information about what the patch was. You could just analyze the, the resulting binary and apply the semantics that you have developed either 
whatever the ARM semantics that we derive from ASL or some handcrafted CPU semantics. And it will answer the question of, well, they are equivalent as long as say this variable is not signed or some, some memory boundaries are, are maintained or something. Um, and I think, so this is probably like wandering out of the area that, that you're, you're interested in because it's sort of, it's, it's formal methods, but it's in the context of, well, we have a bunch of automation. So this is largely using, largely using stat solvers and we're less interested in the formality of the proof and more interested in the, the, it, it, it's explanatory power. That's really what, because, because we, we want to prove something. We want to know that, that, you know, the analysis makes sense and it says something meaningful. Um, but we're not really constructing a proof object that's that's checked by a theorem prover or anything. We're we're ultimately trying to construct evidence for a user that tells them something about their binaries. And yeah. So yeah. You know, I think set solvers and SMT solvers are great for automation and they're definitely something that we need better tooling and better support but they are horrible to give us feedback. So every single time that you, that you mention that, okay, I want my two to be able to tell me that these two variables, are, these two programs are going to be the same other than if this, this variable is signed or not. I'm like, how do you, how do you even begin doing that with set solvers? Like set solver doesn't give you that granularity, granularity of feedback, you know, just, Oh, constraint number three doesn't match constraint number thirty-seven million. <laughs> yep. No, that's 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 my life right now. Actually, is, is, is staring at the terms the stat solver spits out and and trying to make a sense of them. Jesus. And and trying trying to turn it into something that makes sense. And a lot of what the binary analysis or what the software analysis tools we did Galois general is is concerned with is putting a somewhat sane abstraction layer on top of the SAT solvers so that they are feasible, so that they look more like what you'd expect from a theorem prover. So this is something I, I mean, I greatly appreciate because I'm able, am able to come at it from uh, having all this automated theorem prover experience. And I have this idea that, okay, well, we know what expressions are, we know what types are, we know what it means for something to be verified. And that's the level of abstraction that I want to think about. And the abstraction layer that the Galois tool suite essentially puts on top of the, 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 the SAT solvers is exactly that. So there's this great, so what for is what I spend a lot of my time digging around with and, and using. And it's this abstraction that sits on top of a bunch of different SAT solvers. So Yikes, Z3, um, SMT2, I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure what others, but, uh, Basically, the idea is, well, we have a general representation of expressions uh, containing like bit vectors and arrays and structs and things like this. And depending on which theorem, which actual SAT solver we want to use, we can compile that expression into a representation that that, that prover wants, ask it the question, comes back with a model, and then we, we know how to apply that to our, you know, our expression language. Um, and it gives these tools a lot of power because it means that it's kind of like the, the, the opposite of the, the, you know, the SEO four problem where SEO four, it's like, we have the proof in Isabel 
and we're really concerned like we're very tied to isabel in that context it's like if if there's a bug in isabel or if there's like whatever j edit is taking a million years to open so we have to buy everyone more ram because that's the only solution we have at the time <laughs> which actually happened um <laughs> You know, it's like, well, th- that's it, right? It's, it, Isabel is 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 the thing that we have, and if it's not working right, you know, th- there's nothing. In in the context of of the SAT solvers, in in the in the binary analysis um, context, you know, the whole thing is is agnostic of whatever's actually doing the solving. It's just like it's just a thing that will tell you things about expressions that you've built. That's all. That's all it is. And um, and this is this is very powerful because it means like it means that you can develop proofs on top of the proof systems on top of this that will do things like try three different provers and whichever one comes back first that's the one we use and that will give you efficiency or we can do things to build confidence we can try it on two different provers and make sure we get the same answer if we really want to um which is kind of like this is this is the very informal and somewhat unsatisfactory answer to, well, how do you know that your SAT solver is doing the right thing? How do you know it's sound? Oh, well, we tried it on two different ones and it seemed to be okay. <laughs> so it's probably fine. <laughs> I saw that there was someone on, on at Galois working on a trans a two that spills out your, I believe it was your your set solver proofs or some 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 level of the formalism down to cock. Is that interesting? Did, did you did you do you know anything about that? So many things happening at Galois. I cannot keep track. Of that. <laughs> so I I uh, I don't know anything about this. That makes that seems interesting and would be very you know sounds extremely hard and in, in, yeah. impossible to become like just get a little just just parts of it, small parts of it, right? Well, and, and, and I think there's two steps to this, right? There's actually generating the representation in our, something that Cock could consume. And then there's actually checking it in Cock in, you know, sometime between now and the end of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, like, I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not a sad expert. I don't know how hard this is. but Yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so the... the like what for allows me to kind of pre- pretend that I'm using a theorem prover, despite the fact that I'm actually using SAT solvers under the hood, keeps me sane, makes me nostalgic a little bit. Um, but uh, you know, I I I definitely I miss a little bit of the assurance. It's 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 less of a game. Let's put it that way. I'm not I'm not spending my time. Like if the, if my tool comes back and tells me, yeah, it's verified, I don't trust it. I don't trust it at all. I probably got something wrong. <laughs> you know, I felt I felt kind of. I, I I think I know I know what you mean. I felt that like when I'm doing theorem proving, it's a game. I'm trying to you know with the with the theorem prover build try to build something, but with set solvers, I I feel like I'm actually fighting against it. You know. <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing stuff at it, and it's like, no, this is horrible. Get out of here! And I'm like, no, please, no, come on, this is this is better, right? And they're like, no, and I'm like, why? And they're like, no, <laughs> they don't explain anything. I'm like, ah, yeah, yep, yeah. it's great. No, I I totally agree with that. It's uh, 
so it's it's very interesting being being in the position of essentially trying to develop a tool that sits on top of this and tries to abstract away the madness of sat solving um but i mean it's 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 a different it's a different kind of theorem proving in a different context i don't i just i don't have the safety net to right. put it that way of right. like the theorem prover um which is actually like it's yeah. oh it's just an it's an interesting thing that i've kind of had to uh that i'm working on right now actually which is like uh we got to one stage of this of this of development on this uh on this project and then I had to go back and actually kind of inject some sanity into whole, the whole process and have it emit things that look like proof objects. Because I essentially went, I don't trust this thing at all. I wanted to <laughs> produce some kind of certificate that I can look at. And that's very, very much me like showing my, my theorem proving background. <laughs> that's amazing. I really hope that you come up, like that you can complete all of, all of this specification because... Uh, maybe that that's not the right word like complete this this tooling you know like this is an extra layer of tooling behind set solvers smt solvers to provide a better usability i i'm i'm really i'm really looking forward to what's going to come out of this project i really well, appreciate... this, this is this is uh uh not i mean this is a general galois thing and i'm working right. on one small piece of it yeah 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 i'm i'm excited to see what happens but anyways, we are more than one hour in. It's probably a good idea to wrap this up. Is there mm -hmm. anything else you would like to mention that you didn't, you think that, I don't know, maybe it wasn't mentioned and we should go back? Um, I mean, I don't think so. I, I, this is this has been a pretty good overview, I guess, of what I'm working yeah. on. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of detail I could go into that I've avoided, but... Damn. Yeah, that's the <laughs> thing about, about PhDs. You know, like, it's, everything just so can just keep going down the rabbit hole, right? <laughs> yeah. And you, you, you risk you risk losing half the audience and you risk uh you know everyone telling you, but wait, you forgot about you forgot about this. You didn't mention this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 okay. I have one last question. Yeah. What how how do you explain your mom what the researcher doing? <laughs> <sighs> That's the hardest, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I usually just go, I tell her, oh, I'm making sure that rockets don't fall out of the sky. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. It's, it's technically sort of right, maybe. But yeah, it's good enough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I can see that. I usually, I usually begin by asking back, okay, how much about computer science do you know? I'm like... <laughs> How abstract do I have to be here? Right? My my mom grew up with like sorry, we grew up with uh like whatever four computer scientists in the house basically. So oh, so like, you're in a good position. Yes, but none of them know what I do, so okay. I have no hope of explaining it to my mom. Fair enough. Point. My my mom, she's a bank manager. Like she, uh. I, I, my best, my best, the best I could get with was like you know you know when. Sometimes there's this pop-up that says update Java. Yeah, we, we do those pop-ups and like we, we want to make sure that that's working. That update's going to be good, you know? <laughs> yeah. We formally verify that the pop-up is not going to break your computer. Oh, man. Thank you so much for coming today. This was an amazing episode. I really yeah. enjoyed how how deep we, we went into, into Isabel and, and all of that. Ice Buys is really cool. Look up Nikta. Thanks a lot for coming, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's lots of fun. Reminiscing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Take care then. Okay. Bye. Right. Yeah.
Okay, see ya. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, don't forget to share with your friends, with your advisor, with your roommate, or whoever you think is going to enjoy it. If your favorite podcast platform has a rating system, please leave us a rating. And don't forget to subscribe so that you're notified when the next episode comes out. Which, by the way, I have no idea when it's going to happen because, you know, research in life happens. <laughs> If you have any questions about the topics covered in this episode, leave them at our website www.typetheoryforall.com That's www.typetheoryforall.com And I'll see you next time! <laughs>